glad that you're here this morning. This week, we're continuing our message series entitled The True Gospel. And uh, it's a study through the New Testament book of Galatians. And we talked about last week, um, the book of Galatians is actually a letter, right? Right. It's uh, written to uh, by the Apostle Paul uh, to the churches in the region of Galatia, which is an area of modern-day Turkey. Paul planted, uh, Paul, the one who's writing this, planted these churches about a year or two uh, before this, and now he's getting word that some things are happening in those churches that he's not um, pleased with. Things are happening to where they're beginning to compromise the gospel of Christ a bit, the message of grace and faith. And the church is being infiltrated with the message of works and the law. And Paul was have, having none of it. So in chapter 1, Paul addressed those that were teaching a different gospel than the true gospel. And so we come to chapter 2, and the title of today's message is Contrary to Popular Belief. You see, if we're not careful, right, in an attempt to mold the gospel or the message of Christ uh, into something that is more attractive um, or acceptable, to our culture, to our family, to our friends. What Paul calls distorting the message of Christ, we end up with something that's not the gospel at all. It's not the message of Christ at all. And our message simply becomes just another version of a way in which we can save ourselves, right? And we see the message is not always the most popular The message of Christ, although it is a message of grace and of love and of compassion and of salvation, it's not always received that way. But it is the power of God unto salvation. And when we change the gospel, when we change the message of Christ, we seek to make it a message that we can kind of wrap our heads around, and we can try and help others wrap their heads around when in reality it is the power of God for salvation. God does the changing. God's Spirit does the convicting. He does the convincing. It is God who removes the heart of stone, replaces it with a heart of flesh that desires what God desires. I don't do that on my own. You don't do that on your own. He brings the spiritually dead to life. So we must be careful not to abandon the grace and the power and the one true hope of the world, the Savior. What Romans chapter 1 says is actually a lie. We exchange the truth for a lie when we compromise. And so the call this morning, if you're, if you're a Christian here this morning, that's how you came to become a Christian. God, the Spirit of Almighty God, moved on your heart. It wasn't some eloquent speaker. It wasn't some clever TED Talk. It was the power of God moving through the gospel of Jesus Christ that convicted you and convinced you because it really is a little insane. The message doesn't make sense. It's foolishness to the wise of the world, right? doesn't quite make total sense, and yet it makes the most sense. When you look around at the world, you look, at, look around at the way throughout 
history, man has tried to save himself. The gospel is the power to salvation. And the the message that Paul was bringing up 2,000 years ago, and that is still true today and will be true, is that to believe the true gospel is to believe the truth and to be faithful to that gospel even when it's contrary to popular belief is the power of salvation. So this morning, we're going to go through this passage, and, and I've said this before, but some passages of Scripture for me kind of lend themselves um, to three points in a poem, kind of how we we're trained in, in seminary to, to bring them, kind of take the whole passage and then come up with, you know, bring the points out of that, which is all, it's legitimate, and I do that a lot. And some, as I'm reading through them, and God is just speaking to my heart, they just lend themselves to, you know what, let's just walk through this. Let's just walk through it verse by verse, little by little, and just see what is Paul saying here? What is this message that he brought to the church in Galatia and also that he's bringing to us today? Because I can't say it better than, than Paul. I can't say it better than God says it. And so we're going to take this that way this morning and, and go through Galatians chapter 2. And so we'll begin reading in verse 1, and I'll read some and stop, and we'll discuss it a little bit and then read on until we get to the end of this chapter. Verse 1 says, begins with, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and, meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. So pause just for a moment. Paul is picking up, you know, where he left off in chapter 1 of Galatians. He's writing this letter to these churches, to these Christians, because he became aware that something was going on. And he's in the middle of his travels. He's writing in this letter. He's telling the church at Galatia about his travels. And he ended chapter 1 um, with how he went to, he was telling them how he went to Jerusalem for three years. Then he went to Syria and the surrounding area. Basically, he was letting the churches uh, in Galatia understand that he was not looking for the approval of man. He was not studying under men, but it was the Holy Spirit of God. It was a revelation of Jesus Christ that had given him his call, given him the message. And so in verse 2 here, he says, it says that Paul met privately with some leaders. You know, it's kind of interesting there. Why did he say that? Some who were seemed to be esteemed, he met with them in private. See, Paul's, Paul's goal was not to come and, and make some big statement necessarily and, and lay the hammer down. Um, he, didn't, he wasn't coming for some you-just-got-dunked-on moment with the leaders in Jerusalem. He was coming to find out what exactly was happening in Jerusalem, what was happening with those that were teaching, and 
He didn't necessarily accuse the leaders. He just wanted to meet with them and have a conversation. And he did not want to, um, he did not want to, to make a big show publicly, right? He didn't want to embarrass anybody. He wasn't coming there um, to make a statement in front of everybody about these leaders of the church. And so he comes first. He's talking about leaders in the church, these believers, and he meets with them in private. And he says, these, these, these leaders were not necessarily guilty of what was happening, but he wanted to make sure they were on the same page when he came into Jerusalem. And so he, out of, uh, out of respect, met with them in private. He didn't want to cause unnecessary, unnecessary division, right? Oh, we could have a whole sermon on that. But Paul was, was sensitive to that. And so Paul had been led by the Holy Spirit for this, right? It says there in verse two, I went in response to a revelation. I, I went in response to, he had heard it from people, but also the spirit of God was speaking to him, was guiding him to go to Jerusalem to address the continuing issue of what they were calling Judaizers who were coming into the church. They were basically converted um, Jewish believers who were trying to bring circumcision and obedience to the law into the church and say, yeah, Jesus and all that's great, but you know, let's, let's don't forget to, to go through all the motions of, of the law and of circumcision. And there's a couple applications here I want us to see. This is just a, a small part of this passage, but first of all, the Holy Spirit will lead you. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, He is a person. And he does speak and he will lead you just like he led Paul, just like he spoke to Paul. As a believer, as a follower of Christ, we've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit, an advocate, the other advocate, a guide, a comforter. When you put your faith in Christ, it's the beginning of that relationship. It's not, um, it's not, it's not the end of the relationship. It's not I come and I pray a prayer and then that's it. I'm not who I was 30 years ago. Trust me. And it's not because I said a prayer. It's because the Holy Spirit is working in my life, moving in my life. I'm not who I will be because the Holy Spirit is still moving stuff around, guiding me, leading me. And so the question for you and I is, will we allow ourselves to be led? Will we quench the spirit? Will we live life just resisting the spirit and taking, I got my hell insurance from God and that's all I need. And now I'll go about my life. I'll get the job I want. I'll make the friends I want. I'll marry who I want. I don't need any guidance from God. Or will we allow the Holy Spirit to lead us because he desires to lead you this morning and me? The other point I want us to see in that, passage right there is that the true gospel is freedom. It's not chains. I had dinner just a couple nights ago with a Jewish couple, a friend of ours, and they're, they're agnostic. Um, they, they, they practice the Jewish ceremonies and, and the calendar and all those things, but really agnostic when it comes to God. And we were talking about the gospel. I was trying to, they were asking, tell us more, tell us more. And I said, you know what I hate about how people see Christianity? Christianity, the message of Christ, will offend at some point. But we shouldn't make it offend where it does not offend. And so often we have so many believers, so many people think of Christianity, and this particular friend that I was talking to, they have said before, it just seems like a list of what not to do. Don't do that, you know. Don't do this, don't do that. 
I was going to name some stuff, but I don't want to get into all that. But that's what it's become. It's like, oh, there's a strict. And, and, and that's on us. That's on us. We need to communicate the gospel is grace. It's faith. And then we should live the gospel. Following the Holy Spirit, live the God, demonstrate it. Not trying to hit people over the head with what they should do, what they shouldn't do, but demonstrate it in our walk. But the message of the gospel is freedom. It's liberation from trying to earn my way to God, to prove myself worthy, either be religious enough or not be too bad. It's none of those things. It's Christ and Him crucified. And so he said they're trying to make us slaves again to these works, to these things that you have to do to please God. Then in verse 6, he continues on. He says, as for those who were held in high esteem, he goes back to this just to make the point. Whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. Paul right there wants to make sure you know, I didn't meet with them just because they're the special ones or anything. No, I came there in humility. And they recognized and affirmed that God had, had a calling on Paul's life, right? But it wasn't that Paul needed their affirmation. As I said before, he was coming to do this the right way. But he's saying, I don't recognize people. I don't put them in special places just because they're the leaders, just because they're on this board, just because they represent this. Paul reiterates that his calling was from God, not from man. Listen, if you stand for the truth, if you speak the truth in love even, if you live the truth of the gospel in love, there are times you will be labeled and accused. You may be even excluded from certain friend groups. Now listen, I know some believers walk around and that's a, that's a you know, they take, that's a ribbon of, they're proud of that. No, we shouldn't want that. We shouldn't try to be excluded but we have to come to the place where we say, you know what? I'm okay with that. I'm not going to compromise the gospel because it's the power to salvation to be included in certain friend groups. I had a friend of mine that I was in the Air Force with years and years ago, and it had been years, and I was a completely different person, like I said, when I was in the Air Force. And he and his wife and me and my wife used to hang out. We used to go to Reno and Lake Tahoe, and we did all kinds of stuff together and Anyway, we got back together after God got a hold of my life and we had dinner one night. We just met up. He happened to be in the same part of the, the world that I was. He came with another friend and I came with a friend of mine. And we met and he was like already ordering pictures of this and that and he was ready to go. He was like, all right, here we go. We got me and Steve are back together. Let's go. And I was just like ordering my food. And I was, I, I, just said, no, 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 thanks. I'm not, you know, I just try, I kept controlling myself that night, you know. I was just trying to, I was just trying to be me, but me was different. But I still loved on him, and I was like, we had a great time, and there was no big conflict at the moment, but I could tell something's up, and he could tell something's different. And we left, we were friendly, hey man, good to see you, blah, blah, blah. We left. I never heard from him again. I sent him, a, I called him, said, left a message, never heard from him again. He didn't want any of that. He didn't want any of that. I didn't want to run him off. But the way God had so impacted my life was completely different than how he was living his life. And so sometimes that will happen. We have to be okay with that. 
but it must be in love. We shouldn't walk around trying to lop people out of our lives. If they walk away, it's because they see the truth in us. Maybe it is is that, and they're not ready for that. They're not ready for that um, part of, of us in the message of Christ. So I didn't even try to convert him or any of those things. I was just me at that point. Anyway, move on. Um, in verse 7, he says, On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been uncircumcised. I, I want to pause right there. I just want to make clear what I said before. It wasn't that he brought out pictures because we used to always just do pictures. I don't want everybody to think that, don't make any assumptions about me. I wasn't a good guy. That's all you need to know. Um, anyway, verse 8. Um, I don't know if it's the Holy Spirit or my daughter making faces over there that made me clarify that. But verse 8, for God who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. So these leaders had come to a place where they realized there was a special calling on Paul's life. Paul, there was a little conflict there because Paul felt uh, a calling to, felt led to um, the Gentiles, the unbelievers. And there were others like Peter and some others who felt a call to uh, the Jewish people to bring the gospel. They had particular callings to reach particular groups of people. Of course, they, they reached beyond that. Um, their ministry was not only to those, but it did have a particular burden, particular burden for those, uh, Paul did, for those outside of the religious establishment. Paul was a Hebrew of Hebrews, remember? He was, he was Jewish and he was uh, very religious. And at this point, God has done something in him and gave him a particular desire, a, a particular burden for the lost Gentiles, the unreligious It seems like when you read a lot of what Paul wrote, he gave him a particular aggravation with the religious Jews. Maybe because he was one of them. He knew the struggle. He said that he was king at one point. But listen, we are called, just like Paul was called, to go to the world, right? We're called to share Christ. We're called to take the gospel, the good news, and share it. If you believe the gospel is what it is, of course, It might not look like Paul. It might not look like Peter. But it should affect how my life looks. Right? We think about sharing the gospel. We think about sharing the message of Christ. Oftentimes we think about maybe a podium like this or standing on the corner with a track or a survey or whatever it is we do. It's the way that we live our lives. We should be changed because we've met the Savior. Because, listen, your life says something. It says something. Something marks you above all else. Something marks you to the world around you, to the people around you, to the friends around you. What is it? Who is it? 
So we're all, we all have that calling to represent Christ and to share Christ. But there's a personal aspect of it too. <clears throat> like he said in this passage, he said, For God, who was at work in Peter, for the Jews, and at work in me, for the Gentiles. This is, this is a personal work. God has a plan for you in your life. And he's leading you in that every day. That's what the Holy Spirit is desiring to lead you and I in that. It's not, it's not, a, it's not just a hammer that I, that I drop on the people around me at work and my friends and my family. But it takes discernment and sensitivity to the Holy Spirit as I'm living my life. And so I have to listen. When I say listen, what does that mean? Are you spending time in the Word? God calls us to spend time in the Word. When I look back on my life and the times that God has made the biggest moves and revealed Himself um, in great ways to me, it's when those seasons when I would just take time and was looking in the Word, was studying the Word, was hungry. God, speak, speak, please. He's leading, He is speaking. He calls us to be sensitive to his voice. But also, he's given you particular opportunities in your life. He's put particular people around you in your life. Part of living missionally, which is we talk about that sometimes, which means to see your life as a message, a message of the gospel, a message of Christ, part of that is, is to be shared. Part of that is looking around at where God has placed you, who he's placed you with, and allow yourself to be sensitive to the Spirit, and you begin to see opportunities in these relationships that you have, these opportunities that you have. And you, you may start to see you're, you're wired a certain way for a certain group of people that maybe someone else isn't. Maybe God's leading you in certain ways that other people are a little afraid of. I remember when I, was bring, I brought a mission team in New York City one time, and it was these... Some of them were little old ladies from down south, and we were waiting on the subway platform. I remember one time, and the subway pulled up, and the doors opened, and the people started streaming off. Well, these people had gotten right up to the door, and you know what that means. They were up at the door when it opened, and they came flooding off, you know. you got to let them off first. And so they pushed past and got through, and they were letting the bombs fly uh, with their words to the people that we were, were, I was there with, these little old ladies. And I remember the little, one little lady looked at me and she goes, did you hear what he said to me? <laughs> I said, yeah, you're in the way. <laughs> there was something about it that I understood. There was something about it that didn't shock me. Of course, I wouldn't want him to speak that way. I don't approve of that. But there's something that understood. That was part of what God began to work in me and Tony both to say, maybe God's calling us here. Maybe we, maybe we could be here. We have a passion for people here. We, we feel like we fit in some ways. Not that we talk that way. But <laughs> you know what I mean? God gives you a burden. He starts to put people around you. Everybody that you can influence, someone else not necessarily can influence, may not have an opportunity. And listen, let me encourage you this. Your life, the people in your life are not projects. That's not what I'm saying. But your call and my call is to love and to demonstrate Christ in their lives. It's not to take our faith and put it on the shelf because I'm in this certain situation or I'm with these certain people. It's to live in such a way that I demonstrate Jesus to the world around me. The problem with the church, my dad used to hate when I said that. Sorry, I'm not, I'm not beating up the church. The problem with a lot of Christians is that we refuse to do that part. 
We want to do the telling part, but we don't want to do the living part. But he says to demonstrate it in our lives. Look around you. God has put you in some circumstances with some people, and he wants to work through you. And then be ready. What did First Peter say? Be ready to give a reason when they ask, and they will ask. Don't mask who you are. He talks about hypocrisy here in a moment. And then at the end of verse 10, he says, remember the poor. Now, what he's talking about, there, there, there were, there were uh, uh, poor saints in Jerusalem. There was persecution in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a capital city, lots of Jewish people there. Um, and there was a lot of struggle as Christians, newly converted Christians. And so Paul took a collection. We see in some of the other scriptures, 1 Corinthians and, and others, where he takes a collection from the churches and takes it to those in need in Jerusalem. And so the leaders were just saying, yeah, it's great. You want to go to the Gentiles, go to the Gentiles. Don't, don't forget to bring that offering by for the, for the needy here. That's what he's saying. So Paul comes to Jerusalem to address this legalism issue. Right? He's cleared it with the leaders. He goes on in verse 11. When Cephas came to Antioch, Cephas, by the way, is Peter. I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in this hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Barnabas was a mentor for Paul. See, Paul and Peter, Cephas, had a, had a struggling relationship at times, right? Sometimes it was stormy. And here Paul is calling out Peter, and he's telling the church at Galatia about this. Because Peter was undermining the very gospel message that he preached. And the accusation here specifically was that Peter would eat with and interact with the Gentile believers, right? Right? in Antioch, where he was, until some Jewish leaders came to town, some Jewish believers. And when they visited, he would withdraw from those Gentiles, from eating with them and hanging out with them, and he would just hang out with the Jewish believers, right? He wouldn't hang with them anymore. Paul said, that's not cool. And the reason that Peter did this was fear. He was afraid of what these Jewish believers, what these leaders would think and say about him. And Paul calls him out on it and calls it hypocrisy. That word hypocrisy, the original language means to put on a mask, an actor. And not only is this rude, but this is also a pretty strong statement about these Gentiles. Now, some commentators have said when he was talking about eating with the Gentiles, he was referring to the Lord's Supper. I, I don't see that here, but I do see this, that, you know, um, it's true that when a, a Jewish person refused to eat with a Gentile, he did it because of his obedience to Jewish rituals, right? Now, Peter knew that those rituals were not what saved you. Those were not necessarily any necessary anymore. He knew the gospel. He wasn't making a theological statement, but what he was doing was making a fearful, prideful statement because it wasn't popular. And what Paul understood that there were, the, there were those that he described in chapter 1 and in verse 4 of this 
chapter that are false believers who were infiltrating the church. They were spreading lies about circumcision and obeying the law. And that you can only be right with God if you put yourself under the demands of the law of Moses. You must be circumcised. You must eat a kosher diet. You must observe the feast and the rituals. You must do nothing that would imply partnership with someone who is not under the law of Moses. This is the only way to receive the salvation of Jesus. That's, that's what had become the message. Peter didn't believe that, and that's, that's where his hypocrisy comes in. He was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, and then when the Jewish leaders would come, he would go back into that ritualistic, legalistic mode and pull away from these Gentiles. It's so curious that nobody seems to remember that Jesus sat and ate and spent lots of times with publicans and sinners. Remember, that's what he got in so much trouble for all the time. So many people coming at him. But that means that Jesus rejected all of that. He rejected those Jewish rituals and practices as necessary for salvation. And it's easy to criticize Peter, right? But everybody knows what it's like. We all know what it's like to go against what you know very well is right. Everyone knows what it feels like when social pressure pushes you towards compromise in some way. And this is the thing. If you do live your life on mission, if you do live your life and, and, and not shut people out just because they think different than you, look different than you, believe different than you, vote different than you, different than you which, is, which is what we should be doing. We should be pressing into those relationships. But here's the warning. If you do that, if you are obedient in that, but you do not walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, you are not in Scripture, you are not prayerfully uh, considering what God's Word says and allowing the Holy Spirit to, to, to lead you, there's plenty of opportunity to compromise. You will find yourself in conversations where it's uncomfortable and the, the easier thing to do is to make a left turn instead of a right turn when you should make a right turn. It's not a political statement. That's just... You do what you know is not right because you're seeking to please man. We all have those situations. If you don't have those situations, then you're, you're not reaching out enough in your life. You're not seeing the people at work and the people in your family and friends and neighbors as people who desperately need to know Christ. Not that you knock on their door and throw the Bible at them, but get your life in their lives. Demonstrate Jesus. Let's, let's move on. Sorry. Uh, when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, in verse 14, I said to, to Cephas, in front of them all, Peter, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force the Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? <laughs> I love Paul. He just calls out Peter. You ever have anybody like that? You ever have a friend like that? It's like in front of other people, they go, uh, Alex, what was that you were saying about Josh? before when he wasn't around they call you out right that's what he didn't say anything that's what only good things that's what paul was doing peter what, what are you doing you always you always hang out with gentiles and eat with gentiles why what's going on now the truth of the gospel is faith and not works and that's what that's what he's saying you're not acting in line with the truth of the gospel peter 
Verse 15, we who are Jews by birth are not sinful Gentiles. We know that a person is not justified by the works of the law. He's calling Peter out. He says, you know this, but by faith in Christ Jesus. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Paul is saying those of us who were born religious or as Jews and also those that were born unreligious and ignorant of the things of God, which they referred to the Gentiles as. We now understand that it's not where you were born or to whom you were born or anything else. It's faith in Christ Jesus and what he did on the cross that makes us right before God. He is the fulfillment of all the law and the prophets, all of the circumcisions, all fulfilled in Jesus. And what matters is faith in him. Remember, we talked about last week, what was the purpose of the law? God gave the law. Why is Paul so mad at the law? God gave the law, but he never gave the law to bring salvation. He, he, he gave the law to, to reveal who God is and who we are. He gave us a scale, right, to stand on and go, yep, I don't, I don't, uh, I'm not holy. God is holy. That scale can't do anything to make me holy. It just reveals to us. And Jesus was a fulfillment of that and made us righteous before God, not because of our own works, but because of him. Then he goes on in verse 17. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. Paul goes into a rhetorical question here, right? Saying, so because we've been united with sinners, the Gentiles, in Christ, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Is Jesus trying to make us sinful like them? Well, the bottom line is, they are sinful like them. The Jews, the Gentiles, every one of us is sinful. We all are in the same boat. Whether you're Jewish or religious or Gentile, not religious at all, we're all in the same condition. And we are all healed the same way through faith in Christ. In chapter 3, Paul tells us in verse 28, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So we've been made one. No, because there was so much tension between the Jews and the Gentiles. Paul is reaching in there, so we gotta let we gotta let that go in Christ Jesus. That doesn't represent Christ. That doesn't represent God. We have taken the law, we've taken the ceremonies, we've taken circumcision, and we built a wall between us and them. And Jesus came and tore that wall down. That was not the purpose of any of those things. Christ did what none of us could do, whether we're Jewish or Gentile, Irish or Italian. Palestinian, Israelite, Russian, Ukrainian, the 99%, the 1%, doesn't matter. We are all brought together in Jesus Christ. That's why he came, and that is the gospel. That is good news. That's the thing that the world is warring over, trying to find peace, trying to find unity, which we'll never get to. Jesus did that. Jesus brought that to us by his blood on the cross. Verse 19, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. Paul says, I died to the law. He's saying, I no longer look to the law to give me life. 
before Paul met Jesus, remember, he sought to find life, to find God through keeping the law, through making sure others kept the law, by being religious, trying to keep a checklist every day of good works and religious activity. He says, I've died to that. I understand that that is not life-giving. And to come to God, to come to Christ, that had to die. And that brings us to the conclusion, which is a powerful summary of the gospel here. Verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That is awesome. That is powerful. It's Philippians 3 all over again. Paul says, all that stuff, all my effort to get God and to be good and religious, all that, I'm, I've died to all that. That's not me anymore. Paul, Paul could relate to these guys. He could relate to their desire to perform, to please God. He did a lot of that. I see myself in Paul in a lot of ways. Not, not the great leader and writer of so much in the New Testament, um, but the prideful, fearful Paul. The part of Paul that caused him to want to be the best, whatever he did. He was the Hebrew of Hebrews. Remember, he described himself that way. When he saw um, the Christian church as an attack on Judaism, he was the he was the most aggressive and effective at going after them, squashing them. When it came to being a sinner, Paul was the best, remember? In 1 Timothy, he's the chief, the worst sinner, he says, that, that was him. And now as an apostle, a servant of Christ, he was coming after those who were trying to distort the message of the gospel. But right here, Paul says that his greatest accomplishment The thing that changed everything was dying to himself, dying to that pride, dying to his own desires, dying in his quest to be the best. See, whether your efforts, um, whether it's your efforts to be a better person or a better citizen or to find success in whatever ways in your career, whatever, whatever the case may be, Maybe it's, maybe it's the desire to find that relationship that will finally fulfill, finally save me from loneliness and uncertainty about the future. Whatever the control is that I'm seeking to have over my life, Jesus calls us to die to that, to let go of that. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, Verse 24 through 26. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? The freedom that Christ brings begins with us giving up, dying to self and putting our faith in him. To live is to first die. And so listen, if you're like me, every day that is a thing. Every day and every season of my walk with Christ, there's new things that he reveals to me, opens my eyes to things. That's why over the years, he just I feel like 
I never, I, I realize that I'm never there <laughs> because I think like things that God has revealed to me now, I think about 10 years ago and I thought something completely different and I was arrogant and loud and talked about it like, you know, I had all the answers and now I realize, yeah, I was wrong. And so now I'm thinking, man, what am I wrong about now? <laughs> the, the point is God is working in me. God is working in us. And he calls us to die to ourselves every day, die to those passions and lusts. The power of sin has been broken through Christ Jesus, right? But we live in a fallen world, in a fallen body. And so there's still a battle that goes on. Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Paul places all his faith now, all his hope in Jesus and the sacrifice on the cross for his sin. Paul understood that greatness in life and in death and in eternity is to put one's faith in what Jesus has accomplished on the cross by not only building a bridge to the Father, but destroying the power of sin in my life. That hold that that my sin and brokenness holds on me doesn't need to. There's a way out that was broken on the cross. So Paul says, I've died to everything else but that. And so when Paul hears about this talk about those who call themselves Christians and profess to have done this, to have died to self, and yet they're still looking for the approval of men, they're still worried about what people are saying about them and think about them, Paul says, how can this be? Don't you understand the gospel? Are you still relying on the things of the world to make you significant and righteous? Verse 20, as we wrap this up, these last two verses, he says, The life now I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says, I have a new way of living life now. I'm a new person. And the way that I'm living life now, I live by faith in Christ Jesus. That He's become the center. Faith that I'm redeemed and restored to holy God forever. Faith that when... Faith that I am loved and nothing can separate me from that love. I'm living by faith that when I'm walking through pain and suffering, I am not alone. I'm living by faith that, that God is working things out for my good and for His glory. I'm living life by faith now that His presence leads me every day. And I'm living by faith that when I breathe my last breath, My next breath will be in the arms and the presence of God Almighty, my Savior. I will see Him face to face. That's where His faith is, and that's what He's betting His life on now. Taking Himself off the throne. And then finally in verse 21, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Listen, again, Paul, this all hinges on grace. Right? Even faith, even my ability to respond is based on His grace. And Paul is saying, I will not abandon that grace. I will not set aside that grace. I will not reject it. I will not look at Jesus hanging on the cross, taking the punishment that I deserved, bearing the wrath of God, and say to Him, that's all very nice, but that's not enough. A powerful statement here. And he says that at the very end, Christ died for nothing. If righteousness could be gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. If what Jesus did on the cross is not enough. Listen, if there are other ways 
to salvation. If there are other ways to God, I have a good friend. Um, well, I have a friend who is Hindu, and she told me um, I was sharing my faith with her. She asked me what I believe, and I was sharing with her, and she said, yeah, I believe that religion and faith is like uh, they're all rivers. God is the ocean, and they all flow to God. She didn't really have an answer when I said, what, what about when those rivers are marked by child sacrifices and honor killings and hatred? And Well, somebody has to decide that, right? Here's the thing. If there are other ways to God, if there's other ways to the one true God, then Jesus died for nothing. Jesus hung on the cross and it was silly. If there are other ways... If I could say another prayer, if I could do another thing, then that's really not necessary. What are you doing? That's delusional. What a waste. And listen, if that's what you believe, then that's what you believe. And you will swing out into eternity just like I will. And you'll swing out on that. Whatever's next, you will will choose to face it, having rejected the message of love and grace that Christ has offered. But if what Jesus said is true, he is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father apart from him. Then Christ is everything and the only thing. I'll close with this quote from C.S. Lewis. There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, Thy will be done. My prayer for you this morning is that you will will say to God, Thy will be done. God, you are the author of salvation. You have done what none of us can do. Throughout history, nation after nation, culture after culture has tried to come up with some righteousness, some goodness, and we fail every time. Only Christ has broken the power of sin on the cross, and he calls you again. Trust in me. Put your faith in me because I have a plan for your life and I want to lead you. Um, Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you for your your word. Thank you for your grace and mercy. God, when we read your word, when your spirit speaks to our hearts through your word, Lord God, may we adjust to it. Lord, so often we only want to hear what we already think. We want to we believe what we already believe. And we're just looking for words of affirmation. We're just looking for someone to say that, to affirm that. Lord God, but your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And so God, I pray that it would pierce our hearts. I pray that it does that this morning. That it would have its perfect effect on each one of us, Lord God. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the freedom that we have in Christ, that we we no longer have to earn, earn our way to you, Lord God. We never have. It's only by your grace. It's only by your mercy as you reach out to us through Jesus on the cross and paid for our sin. And, And Lord, you want to take each one of us on a journey to grow in our faith and to grow in our likeness of you. And that's through your spirit. So I pray for those this morning who might be here and have never, <clears throat> never by faith said, yes, I trust in what Christ did on the cross. I trust in God's way for salvation. I pray that today would be the day. And Lord, if there's 
those here today that are, are believers. And God, we've, we've shifted back into trusting in ourselves, making our own plans, just bringing you along for the ride. God, I pray that today we would, we would surrender and we would allow you to be Lord and King of our hearts and lives to guide and direct us, that we might be sensitive to your voice, that we might hear as you speak, as you lead us to others who are broken and are hurting and in desperate need of the hope that only Christ brings, Lord. May we live in such a way to demonstrate that and be ready to give a reason for it. In Jesus' name, amen.